with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Well, some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings. Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you are not See that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first. But it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, and plagues from place to place. And awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons. And they will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you. Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So in the Gospel reading today, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking about the temple. The temple which the Jews worshipped at and found great comfort in because this was the place where God dwelt among them. Jesus says it's going to be destroyed. Now, the temple was destroyed once before in the uh, Babylonian captivity, before being rebuilt under the destruction and direction of King Cyrus of Persia. But this time, the destruction would be final. And Jesus is trying to tell them that though the temple would be destroyed, though it would truly be the end of the world as they had known it, there was a greater thing to be done. This is the same message that Peter and Paul and all the apostles and and all Christians throughout history then bring in their own testimony. That that temple is no longer located in Jerusalem, but in the God-man Jesus the Christ, who has come to us by his giving of the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. This is the message that all the apostles carried and they died as they proclaimed it. It was in 70 AD that this prophecy comes to completion as the emperor Nero destroys the temple. And then he and almost every subsequent empire becomes increasingly more self-indulgent, destroying the very foundation not just of the temple but of Rome itself. And you see the, the, the culture of Rome, the Rome that was so great and powerful disintegrate before their very eyes until this, this collapse the collapse of this great culture. 
Livy, Livy, a Roman historian, wrote in about 30 BC, 30 years before Christ, and roughly 100 years before the destruction of the temple. And he puts it best in his history of Rome. He says this, I would invite the reader to trace the process of our moral decline. To watch first the sinking of the foundations of morality as the old teaching was allowed to lapse. Then the rapidly increasing disintegration, then the final collapse of the whole edifice and the dark dawning of our modern day when we can neither endure our vices nor face the remedies needed to cure them. I do honestly believe that no country has ever been greater or purer than ours or richer in good citizens and noble deeds. None has been free for so many generations from the vices of avarice and luxury. Nowhere have thrift and plain living been held for so long in high esteem. Indeed, for us, poverty went hand in hand with contentment. However, of late years, wealth has made us greedy, and self-indulgence has brought us through every form of sensual excess to be, if I may put it so, in love with death, both individual and collective. Livy is painting this picture that their love of enjoying themselves, which the greatness of Rome over years of struggle finally afforded them was their very downfall. Rome was obsessed with the pleasure that money could buy them, and it led them to a culture of death. And I think America is no different. But these very things, these very riches, these very uh, things of wealth become for us a sign of the end. That the end is near because we understand these pleasures do not last. We're not to find our joy and our hope in things the world offers us, but in Christ himself. I'm reminded of a movie this week called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. And the storyline is that there's a giant meteor that's going to hit Earth. They try to stop it and they fail. So these two strangers become friends as they navigate these final days of Earth. Many people are panicking. Some are just trying to experience every little bit of pleasure they can before it all comes to an end. People stop working. People stop caring. But the main character, Dodge, just kind of keeps plodding along. A couple things shake up his life, but even in these final days, he tries to find just a bit of joy and to think of others while everyone else is just thinking about themselves. Now, I expected the movie to be all a hoax. The, the comet misses. There wasn't really a comet. They all go on. They have fun. They met each other. They live happily ever after. But it didn't end that way. The comet was real. It hit the earth. All life ended in a story. And it made me reflect on our life as Christians. The end of the world is coming. We know it's coming. We know not everything lasts. We know this will all come to an end. Everything is falling apart. Everything is breaking. Things have been falling apart ever since our, Adam and our ancestors Adam and Eve ate of that fruit in the garden. And throughout all of history, we have these signs that Jesus talks about, war and famine and plague and earthquake, all these signs throughout history, reminders of how fragile and temporal it all is. And we live engrossed with these signs all around us. Think of your house. Right? You buy a new house and then your first appliance breaks down. So you buy a new one. And as soon as you buy that one, you have to buy another one and another one and another one. And you go this entire cycle until you replace everything in your house. 
And just about the time you replace that last piece, the first piece that you thought was still new, which isn't as new as you thought it was, breaks down. Or our cars do this to us, right? My 1982 Buick LeSabre that was older than me is not alive anymore. Or our toys do this, or our clothing, right? Our clothing becomes tattered and torn. A favorite t-shirt you still have from your college days that doesn't quite fit like it used to and the seams are, are bursting all over and your wife says you have to get rid of it. It's a sign that everything's breaking down. Our bodies are falling apart. You wake up in the morning and your back's not quite as loose as it used to be as you roll out of bed. Your knees crack more than they used to. Right? You, we, we have pins inserted. We, we're like titanium screws all up in here. And then we have stints put in, right? We, we get sick and the doctors tell us we have high blood pressure or high cholesterol or we have cancer. And we take medications and it may help, but it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't fix the fact that we're growing older and that our bodies may resemble more and more some bionic man or bionic woman. But at the end of the day, it wears out. We die. I think this is part of the reason we even struggle, as Pastor Moki shared last week, with the the theology of the resurrection of the body. Because our bodies, our whole life, are a reminder of how close mortality is. The end is always near. And like in the movie, we can't escape it. There's nothing we can do about it. We can lie to ourselves and say it's still a long way off. It's still way out there, but we don't know. We don't know the hours or the days or the weeks, months or years we have left. We have no idea. Yet we as Christians are called to live in these last days with hope and with joy regardless of the time that's left. Like the character in the movie, he still finds joy. He still lives his life. Because honestly, we don't know how much time we have left. We try to save ourselves. Humanity tries to save itself through technology and and hard work and efforts. But how often do we try to save ourselves and we actually make things worse? Think of how often advancements have come with unintended consequences. Think about the Great War, 1984, World War I. The improvements of of transportation of goods and people allowed countries from all ends of the world to come together and shed each other's blood. You'd hope we would use such connectivity to, to increase and build up humanity, but instead we used it to kill. In the midst of it, H.G. Wells coined this phrase that has become famous and many others picked up on it. He said, this was the war to end all wars. Because his, along with others, hope was that after humanity had witnessed the atrocities of what man was capable of doing against his brother, humanity would never desire to go to war again. And it was in the peace of of 1918 where President Woodrow Wilson outlines 14 points of peace. And he truly believed that if everyone just followed these 14 points of peace, if everyone just got on board, there would be no more war. All future wars would cease to exist. And unfortunately, those very points of peace paved the way for a young man named Adolf Hitler to send to power in Germany. And so in less than a generation, the world once again was traveling the globe in order to shed each other's blood. 
The temple will be destroyed. Our bodies will fail us. Nations will fail us. We are destined for death. And we cannot save ourselves. We can only trust in Christ, who is so good and faithful to his promises. This incredible, awesome, amazing promise he offers us at the end of the gospel reading. He says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Endure through the end. That, that, the God who knows the number of hairs on your head will not let a single hair perish. This comes right after he says, some of you will die for your confession of faith. Some of you will die for speaking the truth. And not a hair of your head will perish. Because he has something greater planned for us. We are destined for death, but in our death we gain life. It's in our destruction that we put on immortality. In the failing of the perishable that we put on the imperishable. And we are called then to be faithful witnesses of this truth, even if it costs us everything. Because in the midst of these cosmic signs, we will be persecuted. We will be imprisoned. We will be killed. But those very moments of suffering will open a door to testify about a hope we have that is greater than any pain and suffering the world could inflict upon us. To confess in those moments, I believe there is something worth dying for. Death is everywhere. It's coming and we try to hide and ignore it as if it'll just go away. No. Death is coming, but we have hope in Jesus Christ. To look into a world and say, yeah, we can see death all around. We can see things are breaking apart. Yeah, it's not like it used to be and it never was. But let me tell you about one who comes to restore it all. Let me tell you about the Christ who has risen from the dead. We cannot avoid the end. We can't stop the end. But we can proclaim that Christ has victory over it. And so we can embrace the end and allow it to be part of our story. Instead of consuming us with fear. Believing that Jesus has more in store for us than we could ever imagine. Uh, Laura Hedstrom shared an article with me this week about a Baptist missionary who went to China. And he asked, how should Christian Americans pray for the church in China? And, And the pastor, the Chinese pastor answered, he said, stop praying for a stop to persecution. Because it's through persecution that the church grows. And then he continued, he said, To be honest, we in China are praying that the church in America would experience similar persecution so that it too may grow. So often we pray for success, wealth, easy living. There are churches in China praying for us right now to experience persecution so that we would have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. People are always like, Pastor, it's hard. There's never an opportunity. They're praying for us to be given opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because even in the cruelty of the world, we do not fear because Christ is victorious. There's there's a story I ran across a few years ago. There was 20 Egyptian Coptic Christians who were beheaded for their faith. And it was interesting, some stories came out that there were actually 21 people who died that day. And so I dug around because I heard a couple rumors. I dug around and looked into it. There was a 21st person who was a co-worker of these Christians, but not a Christian himself. 
And they came to him last and they asked him, they said, will you renounce Christ? And this man who was not a Christian said, their God is my God. And they took his head for it. Their God is my God. It was in their very death of these 20 men that this other man came to faith in quite literally the final moment of his life. The world has fallen apart. Yeah, but fear not. Because Christ will come again and in his second coming, he will restore all things. So those very signs we see that the world is all coming to an end will be no more. Because in his second coming, there is no more war and insurrection. There are no more earthquakes or disease. There's no more famine or persecution. There will be no more death. There will be life and light and peace and joy. So let us look at the end of the signs of this age with great humility, knowing that these things will not last, but Christ endures forever. And not take for granted any of the days we're given, but to live boldly this gospel. As the psalmist teaches us, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may grow in a heart of wisdom. To not take for granted, oh, I can do that tomorrow, but to live the gospel today. To live out this hope we have today. To testify of that hope at every turn. Brothers and sisters, the great promise he gives us is that at the end of the world, we have a friend. His name is Jesus Christ, and he brings us into communion with all the saints. And in him alone we find salvation. Because ultimately, we are destined for salvation. So that one day we can look and we can look death in the face and say, Death, you cannot hold me. And though I shall meet you one day, I will greet you as a friend, knowing that through you I have Christ and life eternal. That's our hope. That though this ends, Christ is eternal, and we participate in that forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.